Good morning, friends. I'm so glad you could be with me today for another of our Wednesdays in the Word, an opportunity for us to continue to examine God's Word verse by verse, unfolding it together so that we could understand what God has gone to the trouble to actually say and then superintend to be written down in this amazing book, The Word of God, the scriptures. We're in the midst of an extended study of the book of Romans. We're now in the fourth chapter, and today I want to pick up our reading beginning in verse 18 through the end of the chapter. Talking about Abraham now. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, nor when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness." But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, our transgressions, and raised for our justification. We've been talking in the latter part of the fourth chapter of the book of Romans about how faith in the gospel leads to a credited righteousness, being justified in God's eyes by being clothed with the perfect life that the Lord Jesus Christ lived. And as the fourth chapter has developed that theme more for us, it's underscored for us this un undisputable fact from the scriptures, and that credited righteousness has always been the way that a one has a future and a hope. There's never been a time in the history that the scripture uncovers in which anyone was able to approach God on the basis of their own righteousness. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve in the garden onward, all are sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, which is separation from God. But God has made a way as people take him at his word and rest in his truth, not self-righteously but humbly, the effect of his way is that we are credited with righteousness that we did not personally achieve. Faith leads to accredited righteousness. No Old Testament saint deserved or earned salvation. No more than any of us have earned or merit or deserve salvation. All the Old Testament saints had to take God at his word and trust him to be able to do what they could not do. Chapter 4 began by giving us exposure to Abraham and then continued to develop that, then at the same time to King David. Both of them were examples of responding in faith. We also saw in the fourth chapter that Abraham was not made right with God in finding accredited righteousness because of any religious rite or sacrament that he went through. His circumcision 
came much later than the crediting of righteousness in his life. He was credited righteous because he took God at his word, not because he went through a religious ceremony. Now, God had a purpose for Abraham in terms of the uh, the taking of the circumcision and marking off he and his family as the people of God through that circumcision. But it was merely a symbolic act. It was not in itself a saving act. Uh, what God had to do in his life to transform his life came from the product of his faith in the promises of God. His circumcision was merely a sign of all of that. Now, last time, in verses 13 to 17, we were examining this important truth that justification, credited righteousness before God, ultimately depends on the fact that the God who is really there can, as it put it, call into existence things that did not and do not exist. We saw that in relationship to Abraham. God had made Abraham a promise of a physical son, an heir. He had made him a promise of a coming offspring, reference to the Messiah. He had made him a promise about a coming nation that would develop through him. And ultimately, that he would be the father of nations, a world type of promise. The truth of the matter is, none of those things were true at the time the promise was given to him. But he, instead of doubting, said, okay, God, you said it, I believe it. He was trusting God and taking him at his word. Because he was believing, as the passage told us, that the God who was really there can actually bring into existence the things that currently do not exist. Now, that very response to God is at the heart of the gospel. Believing in that, as Romans 1.16 put it, that gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel depends on the fact that God, who is really there, in fact, does call into existence the things that do not exist. For example... For you and for me, what did not exist in my life is forgiveness. What did not exist in my life was righteousness. What did not exist in my life was right relationship with God. But through the gospel and what Christ did, God brought into being what was it? He made me forgiven and cleansed. He credited me with the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the wonder of it? <laughs> the gospel depends on the fact that is the nature of the God who is really there. Now today, in these final verses in the fourth chapter, we continue to examine some lessons out of Abraham's life, lessons for us that in a way provide a template. They help us to understand more of the nature of a saving response, what it means to place faith in the gospel, that wonder of God unto salvation to all who believe. Verse 18 tells us, In hope he believed against hope that he would become the father of many nations as he had been told. Saving faith, following this example that we see being developed around Abraham's life, means that we have hope against hope. <laughs> In hope we believe against hope. The Greek phrase, it sounds a little confusing here in the translations that we have in the English, the Greek phrase really literally means having hope when we're out of hope. <laughs> True saving faith is resting in an environment or a context 
then that context is one in which we see our own helplessness and our own hopelessness. And yet, in that hopelessness, we're able to look beyond it to something we can have hope in. We can have hope in the midst of God's great solution for us. Think about that in relationship to salvation. In Ephesians 2, which I've referred to you before, we discover in the description of what we were prior to finding Christ as Savior, we were by nature objects of wrath. And one of the consequences of that is that it says we were helpless and hopeless and without God in this world. We were in a situation like Abraham, (laughs) helpless and hopeless. And yet, biblical faith says, in the face of no hope, I have hope. Or put it more in these terms, in the face of a hopelessness about myself. I see there's a reason for hope in what God says, not what I can do. Hoping against hope. Now, Abraham, again, using that example that God gives us here, Abraham, in looking at the promise of having a physical heir, a son, looking at the promise of eventually having a nation emerge from him and his descendants, or father of nations, and certainly seeing that out of his descendants would come the one who was truly the offspring, the Messiah. He looked at that and he said, how can this be? I'm old. I I am helpless. I am hopeless. I don't see how any of this stuff can be achieved. There's no earthly way to do it. And certainly there's no way within my power to accomplish that. No human effort would accomplish it. But Abraham, seeing that God had promised it, trusted in that promise. Remember we saw yesterday, he trusted it because he knew God could make something out of nothing. (laughs) Because God was great. Nothing was impossible with God. And he could rest in that and trust in that message. Like Abraham, God has made us some promises. We look at those promises and we say, well, left to myself, I can't make those possible. In Isaiah chapter 6, uh, the prophet Isaiah coming into the presence of God in, in, a, in a vision of the Lord, he comes before him and he, sees, and he says, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. <laughs> Isaiah, like us, when he sees God, like us, recognized right away, while he was righteous compared to other people, he wasn't righteous compared to God. And he saw himself as unclean. And he said, as a result, woe is me, I'm undone. All of us in coming before God, accepting the biblical view of things, see we're without hope. We are, in fact, sinners. All have sinned, as we saw in the third chapter, and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us deserves, and none of us can merit relationship with God. We're without hope. We're without hope. But in the gospel, the message of the hope of the gospel, we have a message that says to us, yeah, you are helpless. Yeah, you are hopeless. Yes, you are without God. But if you will rest in the great provision that God has made for you in the sending of his son into this world, you can have hope in the face of your hopelessness. If you will trust 
my promise. If you will take it and rest upon it, you can find hope at long last. We turn from any hope in ourselves to hope in the Lord. That is the essence of biblical faith. And that essence was demonstrated in the way that Abraham responded to God. What a beautiful picture. What a clear picture, if we understand it. Are you responding to God in that sense? Recognizing your hopelessness, <laughs> but recognizing there's hope in God's promise? So as a result, you turn from your confidence in yourself to confidence only in the promise of God, knowing all things are possible with him. And when he makes a promise to us, he can make real and make exist what doesn't currently exist. <laughs> Forgiveness, new life. A beautiful picture, isn't it? Well, in verse 19, he says, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Saren's womb. Uh, in other words, his wife Sarah was 90 years old at that point, way past any time to be able to naturally bear a child. Abraham considered those realities. Biblical faith rests upon considering the realities. Let's put it a different way. Abraham faced the facts. He didn't have fantasy. He wasn't pretending. He wasn't playing some sort of wishful thinking game in his life. Real biblical faith doesn't pretend things are better than they are. It confronts things as they are. It sees life as it is. No one comes to Christ unless they've admitted the truth about themselves, observed it, or put it as it puts it here, considered himself, considered his own body. You consider your life, and what do you see? That I am a sinner. Woe is me, I'm undone, in Isaiah's terminology. I am a sinner. I, like everyone else, have fallen short of the glory of God. I, like everyone else, faces the reality that the wages of sin is death and separation from God. Facing up to the facts, part of saving faith. And that's what happened with Abraham. We act on the basis of the facts. We think about the promises of God based on the facts about the real condition of our lives. Abraham faced squarely the facts of his life. His body was old, beyond childbearing. Sarah's body was old, beyond childbearing. <laughs> there was no possibility of a solution emerging from natural means. As it put it, he considered his own body and Sarah being good as dead. <laughs> he was realistic about it. He said, listen, this promise you're making could not be realized in any natural fashion. I'm in a hopeless situation. <laughs> But nonetheless, I will hope in your grace and power to achieve what I can no longer even remotely hope to achieve. Saving faith always involves facing facts squarely, accepting the reality of what's true in our life, admitting the truth to ourselves. What truth? 
that we are sinners. What truth that we are lost? What truth agreeing that it's impossible for us to find forgiveness through our works, just as Abraham knew it was impossible for him to bring about a natural son through human effort. It wasn't going to happen. Ultimately, using the terminology here described, describing Abraham, facing the facts squarely in our life means we accept the truth that, quote, we are as good as dead before God. It's only when I accept such facts that suddenly the gospel, which literally means good news, becomes good news. It's only if I know I'm dead that the promise of life means something. If I think I'm mostly alive, the promise of life, well, it's nice, but it doesn't mean the same thing, you see. God says, listen, see yourself as you are. Face the facts squarely. A sinner, corrupted by sin, separated from God, as good as dead. See yourself that way. Accept the truth. We also see in here another message about Abraham that says, listen, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Saving faith is reflected not only in facing the facts squarely about our life, but also in determining not to waver from the promise of God. Not to waver. The word waver here is an interesting word in the English. It translates a Greek word, which means no more. A waver means to have a mental struggle or indecision. Therefore, to not waver literally means we've stopped the debate in our head. We've settled on a position. Abraham said, I see myself as I am, and I've settled on the truth of that, and I've settled on the promise of God. I no longer have a debate going on in my mind. I've settled and determined what God said is true. It will be trusted. I will trust it. And I will rest my future and hope in it. Saving faith is a settled position. We hear the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. We now understand it in the framework of our, of our sin and accountability, the impossibility of our situation, the wonder of Christ going to the cross on our behalf, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of his righteousness being credited to us. We look at all of those facts, we face them all squarely, and then we say, I'm going to believe that. I'm settled on it now. I'm going to act upon that truth. Unbelief, doubt, means literally to be in two minds, still in conflict about things. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 31 says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, and said, Oh, you little faith, why do you doubt? And the word doubt there is distazo in the Greek, which means to be literally in two minds. Saving faith says, I'm not in two minds anymore. I've settled on the proposition of the truth of what God has made available to me. Here is the good news, the gospel that he offers to me. I believe it's true. I accept his indictment of my life. I confess my sin. I admit it. And I turn and look to Jesus and rest in him, cling to him to be my only hope, 
my solution, the way I will find eternal life, credibly righteous before God. Do you see Saving Faith's template emerging? <laughs> Bottom line of Abraham's experience with all of the promises that he was encountering from God related to the coming son and so forth was that he, after facing the, the facts squarely, he turned his attention from those facts to the Father. He chose to rest in the faithfulness of God, not his own helplessness. When God makes plain to us through the scriptures the reality of our own life, it's not to lead us to despair, it's to lead us to repentance and trust. To turn away from our pride and the belief that somehow we're more than we are. To see ourselves as we are in our need. And then to move us to rest in the great solution that God has made available for us. Abraham moved from his consideration of the facts into his confidence in the Father's promise. What a picture again of what it means to respond to the gospel. See the facts as they are. Accept the truth of them. Determine to rest and have our confidence in God, no longer in ourselves. To rest in God's faithfulness, not our own helplessness. And as we do that, we're able to strengthen and grow in our faith. We talked before about how Mary, in chapter 1 of the book of Luke, receiving the message from the angel Gabriel about the fact she was going to become the virgin mother, the one in whom this child would be conceived through the work of the Holy Spirit, not through normal human means. And that one who is conceived would be the word made flesh to dwell among us, the very Messiah who had been promised. Then and in all of the confusion and amazement of all of that, the angel Gabriel said, listen, with God, nothing is impossible with God. And she trusted that truth. She said, I look at myself, I don't know how all of this can be. But I see what you're promising, and everything is possible with the God who makes this promise. I will trust in that God. Abraham moved from viewing the facts to viewing the Father. He knew only God could, could bring about the solution that seemed impossible. Only God could answer the promise, not himself. In the gospel, we recognize only God's solution is the solution. <laughs> That's why we know that Jesus is, in fact, the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him, because there is no hope apart from him. We trust God's promise. That's part of the gospel. Only God can solve our problem. That's why it says here, Abraham gave glory to God, because he knew God was the author of the solution. There's no person that got any glory. And God said to Abraham, believe me for the miracle of the fulfillment of these promises. He says to you and he says to me, believe me for the miracle of the gospel, the fulfillment of the promises of forgiveness, reconciliation, justification. Believe me for these promises. That is what saving faith is all about. Saving faith says, I choose to believe in the miracle of the promise. I choose to believe what God says he is able to do and has done that I cannot do on my own. 
I will believe in these truths and the promises of the gospel. And I will give God total glory, therefore, for my salvation. I can add nothing to it. As Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, that uh, <clears throat> we are saved by faith, not our works. So we have nothing to boast about. We are resting in what he has done, not what we've done. Now, we have to make the choice to rest. He won't make that choice on our behalf. But what we're resting in isn't anything we've done. It's in what Christ has done for us. Are you making that choice? Have you chosen to rest in what Christ has done? I think of verse 21 where it says, He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he, was, that he, had, what he had promised. And I think what a beautiful, again, explanation of saving faith. Saving faith is to be fully convinced that God is able to do what he's promised. What has he promised? Forgiveness through the work of Christ on the cross. Salvation through that work. Justification as a result. Adoption as his children. Indwelling by his spirit. Eternal life. On on and on the list can go. God has made all of these amazing promises surround it. Saving faith says, I'm fully convinced God, in fact, can do all of those things and will do all of those things if I repent and believe. If I accept the indictment, calculate what my life is, and choose to rest upon the gospel. Choosing to rest to means to be fully persuaded. No longer tossed about by every wind and idea. <laughs> Settled. Trusting God's power to do what he says to do. Now, does that mean there'll never be a time in our life where Satan doesn't throw doubts at us? Well, of course, that will happen. But that's different than a perpetual state of doubt. We settle on the fact we believe in the gospel. We believe in the promise of God. We believe in the power possible there. Abraham was certain God had the power to do what he promised. He knew God, in fact, would give him an heir, would give him a kingdom. He knew God would bring about the promise of the Messiah. He knew there would be this eternal kingdom. He believed in all of those things because God had said it. Saving faith means the doubt and debate are past. I've settled in a place. I am holding to the cross, fully convinced that the gospel is true. And as a result, God forgives, redeems, and justifies me. As the chapter ends, but the word it was counted to him was written not for his sake alone, but for ours also. And it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our transgressions, our trespasses, and raised for our justification. It will be true. Are you resting in him? Abraham's example all points to the essence of what a saving faith is. You have a saving faith this day? I pray that you do. Well, join me, Lord willing, the next time we will then move ahead into chapter 5 and begin to investigate more of what God has chosen to reveal to us in this amazing book, the book of Romans. Be with me then, won't you? God bless.